Welcome to the podcast. I'm Candice Boddington, your host, an energy dealer and nutritional navigator in Cape Town, South Africa, and founder of The Bod Brand. In 2017, I made the commitment to live a holistic lifestyle to heal my anxiety, gut health, and hormonal imbalances. I truly hope that the space adds the value you seek and will give you the starting blocks to heal too. All you need to do to get started is subscribe and you can leave the rest in our hands. We're looking forward to sharing this time together. Thank you for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Gymnogene, a newly launched feminine luxury shopping experience stocking only the most premium local designers, artists, and entrepreneurs. They stock a range of incredible vegan and natural skincare that's cruelty-free to premium jewelry, and not only that, taking the stress out of finding the perfect gift for yourself or a loved one. There is also an exclusive listener discount code, so if you enter podcast, you can get 15% off your order, and it is valid for one order. I personally have used them for numerous birthdays and little spoils for myself and they truly do have products that I don't find anywhere else in South Africa. And as someone who sometimes really enjoys a unique piece in the house, it's definitely been my first go-to shopping experience online. To find them online, go to gymnogene.com and don't forget your 15% discount code podcast on the way out. Welcome, Jessica, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for driving all the way. Um, I personally am very, very excited about this episode. I have my own personal question. We have allowed um, some Q&As on my Instagram um, and on yours. So I think before we dive in today, I think it's just good to always give a little idea of who you are and what you do, um, just nice and simple before we start. Cool. Firstly, thanks for having me. Only a pleasure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a registered dietitian and I have a master's degree in nutrition. So I've studied nutrition for seven years at university level. And basically at the moment I have a private practice in, in Cape Town. I focus on plant-based nutrition. So I myself have been plant-based for over five years and that's mostly what I do in my private practice. But I also am involved in some research, I also do some public speaking, I um, do podcasts, <laughs> so I have um, a few little business ventures that I'm involved in too. Amazing. Okay, also if we sound slightly distracted, Bailey is on the ground chewing feet and toys, but we're trying our best not to look there. So I think why I thought it would be great to chat to you today was because we have had a lot of people sharing their stories. Um, from a very holistic point of view, but I feel like you do cater for that, but you come with facts and evidence as well. And I loved your idea of us just doing like a little myth-busting session today. So there's no like pre-planned topic of conversation. It's just going to be Jessica and I going according to your questions and busting some myths. So I think we should just dive straight into it because I actually got quite a few. And um, this is just a disclaimer though, before we start, this is one based on my opinions and my um, experiences and this is based on facts and also I guess an opinion of yours of how you feel about certain things so everyone's different everyone has things that work for them um, but we are trying to integrate both holistic and factual to give you guys the best advice really yeah. moving forward. I would also like to make a little disclaimer from my side in that my nutrition advice is over a podcast is based on general advice so it's not to be taken for your specific health condition or for your specific medical situation if you want individual advice I would really suggest going to a health professional that you trust and getting that kind of advice all right so first question let's see how bad are artificial sweeters for you well I think it really depends on the type of artificial sweeteners like you get really healthy plant extract kind of sweeteners like xylitol or stevia or erythritol and then you get the more chemical based sweeteners chemical in inverted commas um things like aspartame and acetyl farm k which are definitely more harmful um but 
up until now, there is no solid proof to show that even the more chemical-based sweeteners can cause disease in people in the amounts that we use them or in the amounts that they are added to food. So they are FDA approved, they have been tested in populations, and they have been shown to be safe in the amounts that they're used. I think if you ate them um, in amounts larger than your body weight every day... (laughs) I think anything larger (laughs) than your body weight any day is bad for you. Um, personally my personal preference is to stick to more natural kind of foods in general so what I use for sweeteners and what I advise my patients to use is things like xylitol or stevia or erythritol just because they're more natural and I know what's in them and I know how they affect the body and there's no real research necessary to prove that they can't cause damage you know yeah yeah I love that okay cool this one came up a lot, so I'm just going to come straight into it. Intermittent fasting. Okay. What is your view on it? Um, I personally feel like it didn't work for me because it completely threw my hormones out of whack yeah. and my blood sugar levels, but that was for me. But I know so many women who thrive on it, especially women with like PCOS. Um, not saying that that's what you need to go do now, but I have heard with friends that it's worked for them but personally for me it was an absolute dog show like everything got worse for me yeah okay so let's start with what the science says so basically in terms of intermittent fasting there are proven benefits um some of the proven benefits are fat loss um reduced risk of cancer slower cellular turnover which could lead to reduced risk of cancer slower aging and um yeah, there's some metabolic benefits too, like blood sugar control and lowering your insulin levels and things like that. What I do want to mention, though, is that all of those benefits haven't been proven to be more pronounced than just following a calorie-restricted or calorie-controlled diet. So in other words, the weight that people lose when they do intermittent fasting is the same amount of weight that they would lose if they were just following a calorie controlled diet and eating at any time of day. So I don't think there are any proven additional benefits to intermittent fasting, um, even you know things like reducing risk of cancer and the metabolic benefits can also be found in people eating just a calorie controlled diet. So I think that you don't have to intermittent fast if it doesn't suit you. I do think, uh, like you said, it can really affect your hormones if you have hormonal imbalances and you eat irregularly. So I do think that intermittent fasting can affect your hormone levels, especially if you have hormonal imbalances or if you are predisposed to hormonal imbalances eating irregularly can especially for women because it can put you in a severe calorie deficit and it can you know affect the production of your estrogen and progesterone and things like that um so i think i would base this on what works for you individually what your individual health conditions are Um, also what your schedule is like some people really like intermittent fasting because it really works with their schedule especially in terms of meal prep like they don't have to prepare or take a healthy meal for work they can just eat breakfast and eat lunch or they can just eat when they get home from work so I think if you're really busy and it's something that allows you to eat to have more control over your food and eat healthy with your busy schedule then it can be a great tool Um, but on the other hand if you've also had a history of you know, disordered eating, it would probably not be good for you psychologically to restrict yourself in that way or to put certain limits about around when you're allowed to eat and when you're not allowed to eat. I have some patients that have tried intermittent fasting and it actually makes them binge eat when they are allowed to eat because they feel so restricted that they're not allowed to eat at certain times that when they do eat, they kind of overeat. Yeah. So I have no issue with people, um, you know, experimenting on themselves and testing it out. I don't think... You know, if you do it responsibly, I don't think it would affect your health negatively. But see how it works for you and be honest with yourself and and test it. I mean, I've tested it personally. I didn't love it. Yeah. (laughs) I like to eat when I'm hungry. I like to listen to my body. I'm an intuitive eater. So, um, yeah, it's everyone can make their own choices with these kind of things. Hmm. It's fun being a (laughs) mum. Bailey's going crazy. So we've had to take a short little break. 
All right, let's get straight back into it. So I know that you were a bit hesitant to answer this question and I will not take anything personally either because I myself drink celery juice every morning. But what are your thoughts on celery juice? And there is no right or wrong. Like if you want, you can even take this from an opinion side of thing. Like it really is up to you how you yeah. are. Okay, so <laughs> let me start off by saying that the whole celery, I don't, I mean, I know a lot of you know about the medical medium and where it all comes from, but a lot of you probably don't know where the celery juice, um, let's call it a fad, comes from. And basically, um, there's this guy, he calls himself the medical match under control, especially since I went plant based. But there are certain, like, I know what triggers, like, coffee is, is yeah. a no no for me. Um, I, just I learned that the hard way. <laughs> can't do it. Um, so there's certain things that I just avoid because I know they trigger my IBS. And um, I know that like people who follow the medical medium will say, well, oh, if you get diarrhea from celery juice, it's just your body cleansing yourself. I don't believe that. I believe that my body has really good detox mechanisms. I don't believe I'm dirty inside and need cleansing. So um, I believe if something gives me diarrhea, it's because it's irritating my digestive system and I don't want to continue doing it really unpleasant and it's not easy to work when you have diarrhea the whole day (laughs) it's not to do anything actually just to function as a human any kind of gut related issue is not comfortable yeah exactly so that's um my thoughts on it i think that as i said like you know celery juice isn't dangerous exactly it's a plant like if you want to drink celery juice it's i'm pretty sure it's healthy for you yeah um so go ahead and do it and if you have something you know health-wise that you're concerned about and you think celery juice might help why not try but if it does give you negative side effects it does have a very high FODMAP um, count so and FODMAPs are fermentable carbohydrates that affect people with IBS and certain um, functional gut disorders so if you have a functional gut disorder and you find celery juice does not go down well for you it's probably because of the FODMAP count of it and that's very interesting it's probably not gonna do you well like even if you keep I've had patients who keep going for months at a time and it, their stomach does not adjust to it it's not a, a cleansing or detox effect it's literally just it's irritating their digestive system um, so yeah, but on the plus side, if it does help you, I do think it's probably like really high in electrolytes. Um, it's really high in mineral content, you know, so I do think it helps to nourish you. And I think it's good hydration, especially because you're doing it first thing in the morning. So you're really yeah. hydrating yourself. So I don't think it's a bad practice and I don't have an issue with people doing it. I know a lot of my patients do it, not on my orders, just because they want to. And I'm like, cool, if you want to do that yeah. along with my meal plan, um, you're welcome to. The thing I think that is concerning for me about any health fad, including celery juice, is that if people believe that something heals them of a disease, then they might neglect medical treatment for a disease. So to give you an example, like if someone has HIV, just as an example, and they need to take antiretroviral drugs to in order for the HIV to not progress into AIDS, but they believe that they don't need to take their medication, they can just drink celery juice and their HIV will go away and be cured then that's a really dangerous thing so I think um, what I hope people understand is that there isn't really proven science behind celery juice if you do want to test it out for yourself go ahead but definitely don't neglect your medical treatment or the treatments that have been um yeah have been given to you by your health professional or your trusted health professional because you don't want your health condition to get worse or to decline because you're using celery juice instead of a proven treatment all right awesome i think that was nicely well-rounded um okay let's see we've had quite a few so i'm hmm, kind of going in between okay let's get on to some vegan things how do you deal with the bloating from a high-fiber vegan diet? That's a good one. Um, okay, so firstly, I think that it depends on why you're bloated. If you have IBS, then you need to look at the FODMAP content of your diet. You need to look at the fiber content of your diet. It is 100% possible to follow a lower-fiber vegan diet. It just does mean that you sometimes have to eat a little bit more processed foods. Um, so I have patients with severe gut issues with like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and they're vegan 
and they manage to follow a low fiber vegan diet. So if you have a gut issue that responds badly to fiber, it's completely possible to do it as a vegan. So increase your fiber intake slowly, especially if you're transitioning for the first time onto a vegan diet and you haven't been eating that much fiber. Uh, what I would suggest is just increasing your fiber by five grams a day. If you can track your fiber intake on an app like MyFitnessPal or Chronometer, then do that and really increase it slowly. Drink lots of water. It's really important because fiber absorbs water. So if you don't drink enough water, you can get a little bit of constipation. And other than fiber intake, I would really recommend that you, everyone transitioning to a plant-based diet take a probiotic because probiotics can really help with your the transition of your gut to a new diet. Um, our, our guts kind of adapt to the diet that we eat and the bacteria that live in our guts adapt to the diet that we eat. So if you make a drastic shift or drastic change in your diet, it can take a little while for you to start building up the right levels of beneficial gut flora to actually digest all these new foods in your new diet and that can be a lot of why people get bloating um, or digestive discomfort when they change especially to a higher fiber diet because we rely a lot on our gut flora to help us digest fiber especially indigestible fibers so uh, yeah take a good probiotic something that's at least 15 billion colony forming units which are the bacteria, the amount of bacteria in the probiotic. A lot of them are very low dose. A lot of the ones that you get, you know, at clicks or Discam are quite low dose. So definitely check the dosage of your probiotic and maybe consult with a health professional about the best one for your individual needs. Amazing. Okay, so this is also a question that I have been wanting to ask myself, but it has been asked a few times, and that is the whole fruit sugar topic, like how much is too much fruit? Is fruit the reason for weight gain, acne, all these things that I think there might be misconceptions on? So let's bust that myth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, Well, I'm a big fan of fruit. I think it's so packed with nutrition. I think it's such an important food group, and it makes me so sad to see people avoiding fruit or decreasing their fruit intake because they believe that it's too high in sugar or that it's going to make them gain weight. Um, So let's, as always, go back to what the science says. Um, If you look at what the scientific studies out there say about fruit, I have not found one negative study ever published about fresh whole fruits. So yes, there are negative studies about fruit juice because that is digested differently to fruit that has its fiber in it there are some negative studies about um, dried fruit and there are some negative studies obviously about fructose because when you extract the sugar from fruit which is fructose um, and you use that as an additive in a lot of processed foods it's really really not good for you so fructose as an isolated sugar is really unhealthy but fructose as it appears in fruit is completely fine um, we've, you know, evolved alongside fruit. We've eaten fruit for thousands, if not millions of years, and we are primates, so we are really made to, you know, pick fruit off trees and eat fruits, and it's completely suited to our physiology, and there's really no negative effects. There's, it, when we look at studies, it shows that people who eat more fruit are actually slimmer, so it's never been found to make people gain weight. I don't know where that myth comes from. I think it's just you know, like this carb phobia that's going around. Everyone's so scared of carbs and so scared of sugar and they know that fruit has sugar. So they think, well, therefore, you know, sugar can make you gain weight. So fruit can make you gain weight. But no food is made equal. Yeah. I mean, even when I was at an event on Sunday, we were talking about sourdough and how it was made um, that day with three ingredients and how if you were to then go into a store and have one who has like 50 ingredients yes they're both sourdough but they're made um they're not made equally I think what I'm curious about I'm a huge date lover like I have a very bad obsession Mm -hmm. does that fall into the category of dried fruit and well you get fresh dates and you get dried dates so if you're eating fresh dates which would be like a mildew date and a pitted date would that be a dried pitted or usually dried yeah got it okay but you can even rehydrate your dried i mean there isn't what how you just soak them in water 
Um, that is fascinating. Because, you know, dry dates are like half the price of fresh dates. Yeah. So. I went into the store today and I almost bought some from, sorry, this is just my shopping list here, but like a packet of maybe, let's say, hmm, 25 dates was 185 rand. And I almost yeah. fell off my dinosaur because I'm not paying that much for dates. Yeah. Okay. Back, Crazy. Back to back to the fruit talk. <laughs> um, yeah, so fruit has not been found to affect weight. It hasn't been found to increase risk of diabetes or heart disease. Or I know a lot of diabetics are scared of eating fruit because they think it spikes their blood sugar. That hasn't been proven. Um, the, the studies show that when diabetics eat fruit, their blood, blood sugar returns to baseline within two hours, which means that their blood sugar does go up slightly when they eat fruit, but within two hours it comes back down. And that means that in the long run it doesn't affect their blood sugar. So, yeah, that being said, I do think the volume of fruit that you eat does make a difference. Um, I know you had a question about, um, you know, fruit and acne and your skin. Yes. So I think that if you eat a lot of fruit it can affect your your skin because skin i mean it's there isn't a lot of science to show this but you know sometimes acne can respond badly to sugars in the diet and fruit does contain sugar it's good sugar and but sometimes i don't think your body can distinguish that when yeah. it's in this process i think i it's don't know a dosage thing so yeah. i think you know if it's enough fruit to like spike your blood sugar levels then your skin can respond to that because your skin doesn't your skin just knows oh my blood sugar is going up it doesn't know which food is causing it to mm. go up and generally speaking fruit does not spike blood sugar but if you eat a lot of fruit and i'm talking about like you know eating a, a platter of fruit or a huge bowl of fruit as eating fruit as a meal then i do think it can spike your blood sugar and it can affect your skin so and that's also individual everyone you know everyone's skin responds differently so i don't think everyone's skin responds to sugar in their diet if it's if it's sort of a hormonal acne then it's not necessarily going to change if you cut out all sugars exactly it's only going to change when you fix your hormones so um yeah i think again you know test how you respond to it but definitely be aware of that okay i I saw this on Instagram yesterday and I was kind of just like, oh, good for you. But I also then took a step back and I thought she has one point something million followers. I'm sure she's getting a ton of backlash. So the minimalist Blaker has gone back to eating animal products and she was a vegan and has been and a whole entire business is based on it. So they just asked any insights, um, and I guess they said personal ones regarding the minimalist baker reducing animal products back into her life. And I went and listened. And the reason why she did it was purely based for health. So I don't think she wants to do it for... I mean, I can even discuss this as an opinion because this is just an opinion question. I think if your body needs something, you should give it to it because we're all by individual. And I don't think anyone should be um, taken... Uh, in a negative light because they're doing something better for their health so that's my opinion on that one yeah this is a big thing at the moment i actually wasn't aware of the minimalist baker um i follow her but i didn't see that post but i am aware of a lot of kind of famous youtubers that were vegan that have gone back to eating animal products i'm sure some of you guys have heard about you know there's barney rebecca and a whole lot of others i'm not a big youtube fan but I've gone and watched their videos about why they stopped eating animal or why they started eating animal products again, just because I'm interested in the health aspects of it. And um, what I can tell you is that from, okay, let me tell you from a scientific side of things is that a vegan diet is not like a panacea of health. Like it doesn't magically cure all illnesses. It doesn't magically make you well nourished. It's, a lot of vegan foods are not even healthy so I think you really have to know what you're doing when you go vegan and I think you have to ensure that you're getting all your nutrients and you have to plan your diet properly and if you have you know if you can speak to a registered dietitian who's supportive of vegan diets you do have to supplement certain things you can't 
be vegan and get everything from your food as lovely as that would be you do need to take a vitamin b12 supplement you should probably take a dha omega-3 supplement so i think that a lot of people out there go into this blind and they don't really understand how to be vegan and i'm saying this as someone who's been vegan for five years and strictly vegan um they don't really understand how to do this in a responsible way and how to ensure that they get all their nutrients in and over time they develop gut issues they develop nutrient deficiencies they start to not feel good and they start to feel like they have to reintroduce animal products in order to feel good again so that's what i've seen all these people i i don't know about minimalist baker but i know that all the youtubers um who are now ex-vegans were eating a very restrictive vegan diet they were either raw what a vegan, strange like term as well ex-vegan sorry <laughs> i know um yeah, a lot of them were either raw vegan or fruitarian or they were fasting, not intermittent fasting, as in like doing like seven day fasts where they just don't eat. Um, That's gnarly. Yeah. I've heard of water fasting water as well. fasting. I think, is that just when you drink water? You just drink water. And they do it for extended periods of time. And obviously your body becomes malnourished. You're not eating for like, you know, seven days, 14 days. Some of them do it for like 40 days so you do become malnourished and let's be honest animal products are rich in certain nutrients they're rich in things like iron vitamin b12 so if you're malnourished and you go and eat a whole lot of meat should can cure your malnutrition um meat has been used to cure malnutrition for thousands of years so that's probably why they feel better it's not that they need the nutrition from meat it's just that i mean they could take supplements or they could probably just eat a well-planned vegan diet but people are doing things that i consider really irresponsible and they're actually inducing malnutrition and they're messing up their gut health i mean imagine what happens to your gut floor if you fast for 40 days i don't even want to know <laughs> I because mean, you don't more, have any left i think it would be also more scary when you were to then introduce anything exactly. after that yeah i mean you would just be in pain because yeah. your body wouldn't know what to do yeah and you develop food intolerances and that's what's happened with a lot of these people is they get lots of food intolerances and then their vegan diet becomes even more restricted now they can't eat gluten or soy or nuts so they're just restricted to eating like grains and vegetables um, and it becomes unsustainable for them so i guess my message to you guys is if you are vegan there's nothing to be scared of like don't let this discourage you but let it be a message that you do need to research what you're eating and you do and don't go and follow all these fads and don't go and overly restrict yourself eat a balanced vegan diet there's no need to be cutting out food groups on a vegan diet um yeah so i mean I don't have anything personal against minimalist baker. I think, I think like you 100%, said, if you've got to go back, you've got to do it. And one person out of, like, I'm also an ethical vegan and I believe that it's the right thing to do for, you know, animal welfare and environmental things. Um, but one person out of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are vegan is not going to make a huge difference. Um, but unfortunately, she has a big voice and that's, I just hope it doesn't discourage other people from staying vegan or becoming vegan, you know? 100%. I think that's a that's a great way to end that question off because I think maybe that's why people are just concerned is yeah. the, the voice that she does have. But, I mean, you also then have, um, I mean, I think Deliciously Ella posted a podcast last week based on in 17 years we will be at the point of, like, complete disruption in our environment that yeah. we'll be queuing for water not like we have a problem with that because in Cape Town we've already experienced we're already it <laughs> we're already there but um yeah 17 years was the the mark um yeah. unless we start doing something um yeah I think let's go to the next question that was quite a heavy one <laughs> an unintended heavy one okay I don't know. This is just going to be a random one because I keep seeing apple cider vinegar everywhere in these questions. Just hearing power of apple cider vinegar shots every day. Does apple cider vinegar actually help? So I personally am not aware of this. I mean, I, I, fun fact, I'm going to use it on my hair later because I've got a really itchy scalp. And someone said to me, mix it either in your shampoo or with water 
rinse it in your hair and then shampoo. Yeah, so I am going to do that later. For like the last weekend, it works so well. Okay, great. But I pour it straight on my hair, like just out of the bottle. Should I be in the shower when I yes. do this? Okay. Because <laughs> I was literally asking her questions on WhatsApp. I'm like, should I be in the shower? Is my hair meant to be wet? Because I'm suffering from the itchiest scalp. And it's it's keeping me up at night. Yeah, kind of itchy. Wonders. It's amazing. Amazing. So yeah, it works for hair. But for I hair. don't know where else it works. So maybe we can just touch on maybe three great ways to use apple cider vinegar that actually work. So okay. hair for dandruff. Hair. There's one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know the reason people are attracted to apple cider vinegar is there was I think there was one or two studies done which showed that it increases your resting metabolic rate so uh, people think they can lose weight if they just do shots of apple cider vinegar but the amount that it increases your resting metabolic rate i think it's something like you burn an extra 10 calories a day it's really so you not, could just take the stairs yes i mean taking the stairs would burn more calories than apple cider vinegar so it's really not going to make a significant difference to your weight um it does have, you know, if you get raw ap- unfiltered apple cider vinegar, it does have cultures in it, probiotic cultures. So it can be like it's a fermented food. It can be a good source of probiotics. Um, just be aware that apple cider vinegar is acidic. So if you are adding it, I know that some nutritionists recommend adding it to your water and sipping it through the day as an appetite suppressant. Um, it's going to wear down the enamel of your teeth and it's not going to be good for your dental Holy health crap. in the long term. So I don't recommend that. If you are going to do it, rather do it as a shot once off. Drink water, flush it out your mouth, brush your teeth and get the acid out. Um, don't sip on acid all day because your enamel will suffer. Is that the same for um, hot water and lemon? Because I've heard someone mention something along the lines with regards to the enamel and lemon being in like all your water every day and then you're drinking it in the morning in hot water and it's just this constant, um, I guess, is it an acid? Would it be an acid? Or an acidic um, part to your diet? Yeah, it's the same. So definitely be, be aware of that also. Like lemon water all day is probably not great for your teeth. Okay. Next question. Let's get into it. Getting rid of belly fat. Is it true you can't target a specific area of fat? Now, as a personal trainer, qualified personal trainer, I have to give bad news. Unfortunately, you cannot target any parts in your body. Your body will naturally gain and lose weight where it gains and loses weight how you are as a human and as an individual. So, unfortunately, if that is a stubborn area, I think... There are times like I'm, I've got quite a big bum, like in proportion to my body. So I like to work it more and I build more muscle on it. And I find that that makes me feel better within myself because I feel leaner. It doesn't necessarily mean it makes me leaner. So I think from a mental aspect, cool, work your belly a bit more if it makes you feel good. Um, but to end it off, conclude, you cannot lose targeted weight. Yes. I, I have to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you can't choose where you lose weight. Um, there are, you know, there's certain hormonal conditions that make you store fat around your belly, like PCOS <laughs> or if you have high cortisol levels. So you can obviously, if that is the cause of your belly fat, then you can obviously try to focus on balancing those hormones out so that you can lose that belly fat. But it's not it's not just if you're if that's just your shape you know and you've always been that way there's nothing really you can do about it except lose fat overall and hope that some of it comes off your belly (laughs) and also just be a little kinder I guess yourself I mean I go through periods where my skin's bad or my hair's not doing so great or you know there's parts of my body that I compare to what I used to look like or something like that And then I just always remind myself that there are so many other people out there in the world that would, one, love to look like you, even if you don't want to admit it, and it's cliche. And two, another cliche, there's so many people worse out in this world who are missing limbs. And I know it's dramatic, but like I really do go there because I can also be very hard on myself. So if you're being very hard on yourself, just remember that there are people worse off and you're beautiful. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so I think this question is quite individual, but we'll give it a go. How do you know how many calories to eat to lose weight without messing up your metabolism? I don't know if we can even answer that That is super individual. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of calorie calculators online, and you can go and punch in 
your age and your weight and your activity levels and all of that and it'll give you a rough estimate but at the end of the day any calorie calculation is just an estimate there's no way mm. to accurately know how many calories your body burns a day and it varies so much from day to day it depends how active you are it depends on what the weather's doing it depends on the time of your cycle so i'm not a huge believer in calorie counting in general just because it's actually not a very accurate science but and i'm much more into like intuitive eating and just eating according to your body's cues but i think um if you were to want to really find out how many calories you would need per day the best way to do it is to find out how many calories you're currently eating per day to maintain your current weight so literally track every single calorie for a week or two without restricting just what you would normally eat and see what it comes to take an average and say okay well that's what i would normally eat per day at this weight and now if i want to lose weight i need to minus a little bit from that in order to lose weight and minus as little as possible because the more you take away from your maintenance calories the more you risk losing muscle and you know slowing down your metabolism and things like that so that's how i would suggest you do it it's a bit of work and it takes a week or two but if you really want an accurate measurement that's probably as accurate as you can get that's awesome i love that advice okay best source of plant-based protein that aren't legumes <laughs> I don't Do, know if that's a difficult soy one. Count as a legume? <laughs> I mean, I would I would say like tofu or tempeh, you know, your soy-based proteins. If not, if you're, you know, soy is technically a legume, so if you want to exclude soy, then I would say um, what are also good sources is microprotein, which is mushroom-based protein. Hmm. Um, and but, you find that in And if you hate mushrooms? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't actually taste like mushrooms, but if you're allergic to mushrooms, you can't do it. No, 100% because um, the fun because it's a fungus. Yeah, it's a fungus. But there's a brand on our markets called Corn, like Q U O R N, and they make these like meat-free products and they're all microprotein based so that's a really good source of protein good amino acid profile um other than that there's seitan which is gluten protein it doesn't have such a great amino acid profile but it is very very high in protein if you're gluten intolerant you can't do that um so yeah those are like the options for i would say good sources of protein that have all the amino acids in the right amounts if you are going to want to exclude all those foods and just focus on, you know, things like nuts and seeds do have a lot of protein, but their amino acid um, profile is not so great. So if you just rely on those for your protein, then you will eventually become deficient in certain amino acids. Um, so yeah, you can definitely add nuts and seeds as a source of protein, but you have to be having other sources of I would say good quality proteins that have a good amino acid profile. So that would be your legumes, your soy products, um, your microproteins, and actually quinoa. Quinoa has a good amino I acid profile. I love quinoa. That's great to hear. Yeah. What are you, like random question? What are your thoughts on millet? As a grain, mm. you mean? I mean, it's a whole grain. I think I think all whole grains are good, and I think it's good to have a variety. So because I've recently, I I just have it every now and then because I just like trying a yeah. new base for like a. I mean, last night I made a dull, which was so good. Yeah. I made it out of lentils, and um, I used millet with it for the first time. But I feel like it's the, the the like kind of gluten free version of pup. Yes, I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of that when I used to eat it. Yeah. All right, next question. Is ditching dairy bad for health, like teeth, bones, and would supplements be needed if you weren't to consume dairy? Well, In the most biased way possible. <laughs> you know I'm biased about this because I haven't had any dairy in over five years, and I don't think dairy is... I do think dairy contains nutrients. Like, let's be clear about that. It does contain protein it contains calcium it contains iodine it contains vitamin b12 so i do think it contains nutrients but the question is like what's coming along with those nutrients because mm. you're also getting a hormones. ton of hormones and saturated fats and yeah pesticide residues and you know all these things that kind of accumulate up the food chain into the milk 
So remember that cows are very big mammals and they eat a lot of grains and soy in their lifetime and all of those grains and soy which are filled with you know pesticides and um, even just environmental residues and heavy metals those all accumulate in the cow's body and they do come out in the milk so I would rather get my calcium and my iodine and my proteins from plant-based sources that are lower down on the food chain and that don't come with that toxicity um, so yes milk is nutritious but you can get those nutrients from other sources so if you are going to cut out dairy I would definitely suggest taking care of your calcium intake you need to know that you're getting enough calcium in your diet and most people vegan and non-vegan alike don't get enough calcium and calcium is important for bone health and for teeth health um, so what would be so a good food source then so your firstly your plant-based milk so things like almond milk and soy milk the commercial ones are fortified with calcium so they have the same if not more calcium than dairy milk and the calcium in those milks is more absorbable than it is from dairy so they're That's a great source of calcium yeah we only actually absorb 25 percent of the calcium in dairy um, and we can, from plant-based sources, we can absorb up to 75%. What? So it's That's cool. gnarly. Yeah. That's also good to know. But then is, um, is the same calcium level found in homemade almond milks? No, because it's not fortified. So almonds do have a natural calcium content, but it won't be nearly as much as a commercial almond milk, which is why I actually go for the commercial, you know, non-dairy milks, because I think it's important to get enough calcium in and other than your non-dairy milks you know you get tofus that are set with calcium salts so they have a lot of calcium in them you get uh your dark leafy greens not spinach though spinach we don't absorb the calcium from it but all your other dark leafy greens like kale and bok choy and collard greens we can um, get a lot of calcium from those and then there's things like sesame seeds tahini um, almond butter and almonds that also are good sources of calcium but all of these foods you need about three servings a day to get enough calcium so if you think about it if you have a cup of plant-based milk and a cup of greens and maybe like a handful of almonds you have your three servings a day but a lot of people don't do that every day mm. I mean it can be really difficult to actually get enough in every day and I'll tell you that I don't get it I don't do it every day you have to really plan your diet quite specifically in order to do that um, so personally, I take a calcium supplement, I believe, in just supplementing what you don't get from your diet and not neglecting your nutrition. Um, and yeah, that's what I would suggest for people out there. If you know that you're not getting enough calcium, just take a supplement. It doesn't have to be a high dose supplement. It can literally be like half of your daily dose. The other half you will definitely get just from eating grains and beans and fruits and vegetables. All those foods do have calcium they just don't have lots of calcium so you need to top yourself up a little bit um, and then the other nutrient that a lot of people get from dairy is iodine which is actually a mineral and in South Africa our soil is very low in iodine so the government adds iodine to our salt and it's called iodated salt um, all, all like table salt that you buy at supermarkets is iodated and cows actually have iodine in their milk not because they're eating iodine but because iodine is a disinfectant and it's used in dairy farms as a disinfectant on the dairy equipment what? and on their adders you know they like they put iodine on the cow's adders to disinfect and then it gets into the milk so i mean i don't know i prefer just to get my iodine yeah from, and from some salt or something and i'd also just like to note that your hair your eyes your teeth and your nails look incredible. Thank you. And that's, I mean, that's just going on like people also saying, I remember my parents used to say, if you want to have like strong bones and strong teeth and all of that, one needs to, my dog just fell on my laptop, sorry. <laughs> one needs to um, have enough milk when really you just need to, well, have knowledge of what you're consuming and you can make the choice for yourself. Exactly. Okay, cool. Next question. Can going vegan affect your menstrual cycle? And what should you eat if your period stopped? So 
Any drastic change in diet can affect your hormone levels, which can affect your menstrual cycle. And I'm assuming from that question, when you say it's affected your menstrual cycle, it's that your period has stopped. So if your period has stopped, that usually means that you're not ovulating or you're not producing enough hormones. And yes, a vegan diet or let's say an unbalanced vegan diet can definitely affect you in that way. So if that is what's happening to you, I would say, um, number one, make sure you're eating enough calories. It's actually very easy to under eat calories on especially a whole foods plant-based diet. So I do find that a lot of women under eat on calories and that's why their periods stop or they skip periods. Um, or if you lose weight very quickly because you're eating less calories, a lot of women's cycles are very sensitive to their weight. So as soon as they lose weight or they're just slightly underweight, or even if you're overweight but you lost weight quickly, mm. your period can stop. Um, it's almost like your hormones get a bit of a shock and your body goes into survival mode and it's like now is not the time to make a baby and you stop ovulating. So um, definitely if it's you know something that you were overweight and you needed to lose weight, then I would say just let your weight stabilize, give it time and it will come back. But if you're bordering on underweight or you are underweight, you need to gain weight and eat enough calories in order for your period to come back. That's the number one thing that I've found in my patients. And secondly, if it's not calories, then I think it's also important to eat enough healthy fats. That's so important for hormonal functioning. And remember that a vegan diet is naturally lower in fat than an animal-based diet. Um, most of your plant-based foods, things like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes are literally fat-free. There is no fat in any of those foods. So unless you're adding, you know, your nuts and your seeds and your avos and your coconut and your healthy oils, you're actually not getting any fat in your diet. And fats are important for hormonal function. So make sure you get a good few servings of fats every day. If you're unsure, you can always track your fat intake on an app like Chronometer or MyFitnessPal and make sure that you're getting at least 50 grams of fats a day um from your whole plant foods awesome and i mean like i know that this is a little bit off topic but when i was reading through the medical medium he seems to not encourage fat because he says that it feeds the epsom bar virus do you this is just like an opinion and because i know that his is not based on science so it can't really be a scientific answer yes. but do you believe that viruses feed off fats no. Cool. That was just a question for me. Like, I might even edit that out. Yeah. Um, that was just my... The reason I don't believe it is because viruses live in... You know, fats are stored in adipose tissue. And viruses live in your blood, you know. Um, and yes, when you eat fat, there are fats that float around in your blood. But viruses don't feed off fats. Um, I think... I mean, from what I know about medical medium, he says that the Epstein-Barr virus sits in your liver. Yes. Yeah, and that like fat accumulation in your liver, you know, helps to keep the virus alive. Yes. And he also is not a huge fan of like eating a lot of protein because he also says protein like stops the detox process or clogs your I liver. I haven't read a lot like yet. I'm still, I'm still yeah. reading through the textbooks. I'm very cloudy on like the details of it because it's, scientifically that doesn't make sense to me so I can't tell you it's not like yes that's a scientific mechanism but I get like the gist of what he's saying is that like the virus is living in your in your liver and therefore and fats are stored in the liver and if you eat lots of fats it kind of like feeds the virus um but yeah I mean if you eat no fats your liver will die so yeah you know do you want to starve your body and the virus at the same time I don't understand that that line of of reasoning it's like you know, with cancer, people are like, oh, well, sugar feeds cancer, and therefore, if you cut all sugars out of And that the goes diet, fruit. Yeah, and all fruits, which are really high in cancer-fighting phytochemicals, then you will be, you know, starving the cancer. But cancers can live off a lot of things, and it doesn't work like that. So viruses, cancers, bacteria, they're complicated. They're, I mean, bacteria and viruses are living organisms, and they can adapt so I don't think we can necessarily starve them to death. Um, I think we can just make sure that our bodies and our immune systems are strong enough to fight them off. Yeah. 
Um, okay, I think this is a nice little light-hearted one after the, um, the last question. So, does coffee give you cellulite? I feel like that's a good myth to bust. Yeah, I don't, so there isn't any scientific research to show that coffee can give you cellulite. I mean, if you think about what cellulite is, it's just like pockets of fat cells. So yeah. why would coffee cause that? I do know that anecdotally, a lot of women say that coffee caused their cellulite or that when they stopped drinking coffee, their cellulite went away. Um, maybe, I mean, if you have cellulite, try stop yeah. coffee i mean it's not a bad thing to stop coffee and see if it helps but i don't think you have to be scared of coffee because it can cause cellulite no i think only be scared of coffee if you generally have like anxiety or you have ibs c or d where it could really make it go the other way around um and also i mean on the coffee side of things i Used to intermittent fast, start my day with a coffee. Little did I know I had low blood sugar, hormone imbalances, and anxiety. It was honestly like giving myself a loaded gun. I know that sounds dramatic, but it really wasn't the best idea. So I think relative to where you are in your health and in your lifestyle, coffee is not the worst thing. Um, it's But yeah, I, like Jess said, try it out. Use your body as a guinea pig. Um, there is a question here that said, yeah, acid reflux how to get rid of it. I don't have acid reflux, but my little sister does. So I would be curious even for her to know, you know, how to work around that. Yeah, I think um, it really depends on the individual because there are a lot of causes for acid reflux. But firstly, if you're overweight, you need to get down to a healthy weight because the pressure from your the weight on your stomach actually pushes the stomach acid up into your esophagus so if you're overweight that can be a cause smoking can be a cause um smoking relaxes the little elastic between your stomach and your esophagus so it can let stomach acid come up so definitely smoking even secondhand hmm. smoke like i don't know how old your sister is but if she my dad smokes a lot, a lot. yeah it's exactly. very interesting so secondhand smoke it can relax that sphincter um and then from a diet point of view, fats kind of float on top of our stomach contents. So if you can imagine like a bottle of oil and vinegar, you know how mm. the oil floats on top. So when you eat a high fat meal, the fat is going to float on top. And then if you have pre-existing reflux, the fat is going to irritate it because it's going to be the thing that comes up into your, into your esophagus. So definitely I would say if you have reflux, low fat meals, will save your life and obviously avoid things that just cause more burn like acid acidic foods vinegars um yeah no apple cider vinegar for you yes exactly. <laughs> i actually have a friend who did um she did apple cider vinegar shots and she had reflux and she thought the apple cider vinegar would help oh my gosh and she was like why is it making it worse so it definitely it doesn't make it worse but it just burns more when it comes yeah. up um and you know spicy foods will burn a lot so definitely avoid those sorts of things. And what's really important also is, you know, the timing of your meals and whether you actually, you know, your food has to go down in order for you to not have reflux. And if you, you can imagine your stomach's almost like a bottle of that like oil and vinegar mix. If you lie down, it's going to pour out. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just pictured that now. I'm just like, oh, it's a good, it's a good picture. <laughs> it's it's a good one if you don't want to do it again. Yeah. So definitely don't eat late at night and then go lie down after your meals. Don't eat while lying and watching TV. You've got to eat sitting up and then if you can, literally like walk around for thirty minutes until your meal has gone down and don't recline at all for a good two hours after meals because. It's all going to come up if you... And it's going to feel horrible. And it feels terrible. All right. So there was another really great one. Okay. Do we really need to cut out gluten? No. <laughs> this is actually something that really, really annoys me. And if you go onto my Instagram page, you'll, do, you'll see I do a lot of like comparison posts about gluten and gluten-free mm. products because there have been some great studies done where they've reviewed gluten-free products on the market and they found that gluten-free products are actually, in general, higher in fats 
um, lower in fiber, lower in protein, lower in B vitamins. And Even the same product, like yeah. like oats, like gluten-free okay, oats. Not oats okay, oats are, oats are gluten-free naturally. Yeah, it's just the factory in which they're yes. manufactured. But something like if you compare like gluten-free pasta to normal pasta or gluten-free bread to normal bread or gluten-free crackers to normal crackers, the, the normal, normal in inverted commas, <laughs> like the wheat-based option will actually be more nutritious lower in fat lower in calories and higher in fiber so it will actually be better for you unless you're gluten intolerant obviously then you can't use the wheat-based option but i think that's the problem is that people have something that they don't understand going on in their body and then they just naturally go i'm gluten intolerant i'm dairy intolerant i'm everything intolerant without actually doing the work and figuring out what is going on yeah. so i think that's the and what problem. i see in my practice is that a lot of people do feel better when they cut out gluten but not because they've not because gluten was the issue but maybe because they were eating a lot of processed foods and think about it if you cut out gluten you basically cut out like all pastries with eating out you don't have pizza anymore you don't have burgers anymore you cut out so much of the junk in your life um, that you probably will feel better and your digestion mm. will improve, especially if you're coming from, you know, not eating the healthiest diet, going gluten-free does kind of force you to eat a bit healthier. So I think that's why people see benefits. I also do know that gluten does affect IBS for sure. And that doesn't mean you're gluten intolerant or that you're allergic to gluten. It just means that the FODMAP content of gluten-containing products can affect IBS. So definitely, like, my IBS patients do sometimes find relief in cutting out gluten. But again, it doesn't mean that they have to strictly cut out gluten. It doesn't mean that they can never have gluten again. It doesn't mean that they can't have small amounts of gluten. It just means they have to find what works with their stomach. So I'll give you an example for me, um, because, as I said, I also have IBS. If I go out and I have a pizza like with like a gluten pizza base I won't feel happy the next day like I'll definitely be bloated or if I have a big pasta or something like that but if I have you know just a slice of whole grain bread it doesn't affect me at all so it's really for me a dosage thing like if I have large doses of especially more refined carbohydrate products I don't feel good um, I'll still do it sometimes because YOLO, <laughs> but um, it's not always worth it for me. And so, yeah, so play around with what works for you, but definitely like don't blame everything on gluten. And th there is a lot of um, more detailed science to like what affects our stomachs and, you know, how gluten affects us and in what dosages. So, but gluten itself, remember, gluten is just a protein. That's all it is. It can't really affect you unless you happen to be allergic to that protein. Awesome. So um, another vegan question. Um, someone has asked, what supplements should one be taking? And I know, again, that's by individual. She's just said, yeah, other than B12, calcium, zinc. Um, and she has asked how much. But again, I think that's by individual. So maybe just like your top five that you would just be like, I will never part with these ever. Okay. So B12, definitely. I mentioned that earlier. I think I just want to mention because this is something that I see a lot in my practice is that people don't know how to dose their B12 supplements correctly. And they go to like clicks or Diskim and buy any B12 on the shelf or any like B complex on the shelf. And then their B12 levels decline over time and they end up getting deficiencies so definitely just remember when you take a b12 supplement we only absorb one percent of what we take from a supplement so you have to take at least a hundred times your daily dose wow. and the daily dose for adults is 2.4 micrograms so that means that when you're looking at a b12 supplement you need at least 240 micrograms per day um so that's all i'll say about b12 for now <laughs> if you want more details i definitely do put my supplement recommendations up on my Instagram account. And you go in such great detail. Like I honestly went and bought the right B12, even though I went to an actual like practitioner and got scripted and I got scripted the wrong one. I went onto your page, got the right one and I feel better. So like honestly yeah. check out, I'll leave all of your details in the bottom, but go check out definitely like the vitamins and your comparisons with things. They're really good. 
Sorry, back to the, the supplements. <laughs> yes, so vitamin B12 is a must-have on a vegan diet. Other than that, um, I do recommend taking an omega-3 DHA supplement, which is basically the type of omega-3 that you get from fish or from fish oil. And you do get omega-3s from plants, so from chia seeds and flax seeds and walnuts, but it's a different type of omega-3 that your body then has to convert into DHA. And because for some people that conversion process is a little bit stunted or they don't convert enough, I just recommend taking a DHA, DHA supplement to be safe. Um, and obviously if you're vegan, you don't want to take a fish oil supplement. So there are algae oil supplements out there on the market, obviously, I do believe that algae oil is healthier than fish oil. It doesn't have the heavy metal contamination that fish oil has. And um, it's also gentler on the environment because they actually grow the algae in vats, in like labs. They don't, oh, that's cool. They don't take the algae out of the sea. They don't take huge fishing trawlers and you yeah, know, disturb the ecosystem or anything like that. So it's really cool. But it is a more expensive supplement than a fish oil supplement. So it depends on your budget. Um, and that's really all I recommend. I personally do that and I take a calcium supplement. Um, I take, I actually suffer from like a little bit of low iron, which has always been a thing. It's not a vegan issue. I've had it since I was like 15. Um, and it's, it, it sometimes gets better and then it sometimes gets worse. So I'm always on and off iron supplements, but I personally because of my IBS struggle to take iron supplements so I take and you guys who follow me on Instagram will have seen this I take a multivitamin that has iron in it because I find that's the easiest on my stomach that's the easiest way for me to get iron supplements in as opposed to a um, separate iron supplement so that's something to look into if you also struggle from digestive issues but I don't recommend that you take an iron supplement just because you're vegan you only take an iron supplement if your levels are low. Iron supplements do have side effects and having elevated iron levels in your body is not good for you. So test your iron first. Men generally never need iron supplements. So if you're a man, you probably don't need to take it. If you're a woman, just go for a little blood test once a year, once every second year, check your iron levels and see if you need a supplement. Um, and that's all I recommend. I know the, the person who asked the question asked about, they said, they believe a zinc supplement yes. is important. I don't believe you need to take zinc supplements as vegan. I think you just need to eat your nuts and seeds every day and eat a balanced diet and you can get enough zinc in for sure. But if you do find that you have low zinc levels, you might need to take a supplement. All right. So final question from Instagram and that is how to heal your gut after illness. So I'm assuming when you say after illness, you mean like a gut-related kind of illness, um, or maybe something like, yeah, maybe something like a stomach bug, because if you had something like a cough or a cold, it wouldn't really affect your gut. But anything, any illness that would affect your stomach, I would definitely recommend taking a good probiotic afterwards to build up your gut flora again because that process without the help of a probiotic can take many months and in that time your immune system can suffer and your gut health can suffer and a lot of people find that they get recurring infections or they get um, you know what we call post-infectious IBS which is an IBS that you get after having a tummy bug so if you find that you're struggling with that kind of thing, definitely a good probiotic is essential. Eating some fermented foods can be good. And other than that, I think just, you know, being gentle to your gut. If you've had a stomach bug, your stomach gets quite sensitive. It can almost be like you have IBS. So you might find that you need to eat less fiber. You need to eat blander foods. You need to, um, yeah, avoid lots of like, rich foods or fatty foods or spicy foods or caffeine or alcohol you know all those foods that do irritate your gut um, just give your gut some time to heal and build up its lining again before you start bashing it with all these <laughs> all these irritants that are going to break down the lining so yeah that's what i would recommend cool so to end off every episode i always ask one question and that is what would you tell your 16 year old self today <laughs> so completely off topic almost wow well I'll, I'll tell you this is actually a really personal one but when I was 16 I think I had like a really low self-esteem like 
I was really underachieving at school. I was struggling so much to keep up. Like I was kind of slow with tests and assignments. And I think I had, you know, some ADD. Like I really struggled to concentrate in class. And I just felt like I would never really do well at school. I also felt like I was really unattractive. Like guys did not pay attention to me. <laughs> and, and if only they could see you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really thought like I had not even kissed a guy when I was 16. And I thought I was so unattractive. No one would ever like me. Um, the guys at my school just like I was invisible. But I think I was also really shy. And that makes a big difference. I didn't realize it at the time. But like now I know. Um, so if I could tell my 16 year old self anything it would just be like you are clever and you're going to do really well academically like you're going to sort yourself out and figure out how to use your brain well and you're beautiful and one day men will like you (laughs) (laughs) um not that that's really important in life but sometimes it's It's a big thing it's a big thing that you need yeah especially when you're 16 you know there's a lot going on during that time yeah um, and I think there's so many teenagers that suffer so much with like low self-esteem and just feeling like they're not good enough or they don't fit in or they're different. Like, I think everyone feels that way when they're 16. So I would just tell myself like, like it's good to be different and you're going to make an impact in the world and you're going to help people and you're going to actually be able to relate to people and make such amazing connections. Like, I would never believe that I would be a people's person and like work with people all day. Like I was so shy and I had like no friends. Oh man. Um, but just, yeah, like what you are when you're 16 is, is just, it's like a blip of what you'll become, you know? That's so beautiful. Just believe. Yeah. Believe that you will be exactly where you need to be and you are exactly where you need to be right now. Thank you so much for joining today. This has actually been one of my favorite episodes we've recorded, well, I've recorded, and I can't wait to edit it and listen to it on my walk tomorrow morning. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to listen to you too. So if you have any questions or ideas of dream guests, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned for the answers to your questions and to hear your dream guests on this podcast. Send your questions and requests to candice.buddington at gmail.com and I look forward to connecting with you on a much deeper level. Bye.